Welcome to Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Bioni, here with an exciting episode today. Going to be looking at year two wide receivers, and I've got JJ Zachariason of LateRound.com to break it down for me. JJ, each year, does my favorite prospect guide out there. It's a great compliment to the dynasty profiles that Anthony Amico does for us over at Establish the Run. And there's so much I, I respect about JJ's model, which we'll get into, but he specifically, in addition to doing the incoming rookies, updates his expectations for the previous season's rookies at the running back and wide receiver position. And he's had some, you know, his model has some impressive predictive power, uh, particularly for these year two wide receivers. So, JJ, excited to talk to you about this group of receivers. Yeah, man, me too. It was a, a great class last year. Uh, you know, one that fortunately my model seemed to like quite a bit, you know, coming out uh, last season and, and you know, a lot of them didn't disappoint. I mean, it's, it's very rare to get a handful of guys who are potential cornerstone dynasty pieces, you know, in one draft class like that. Yeah, we definitely got a little bit spoiled. I did, uh, you know, a couple wide receiver podcasts already talked to Pat Crane, talked to Anthony Amico and you know, this year's class feels like a bad class, but it's really kind of as I heard you on Crane's podcast as well. It's more, it's just the normal class and we've been yeah. a bit spoiled these last few years. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm going to bring up on the screen um, just a little bit of the PDF of JJ's year two model. And overall, um, you, you've got something right off the bat where you quote it here. The goal of the year two model is to be much better at predicting players second and third year production than a player's rookie season points per game average. And that's something that might seem at first glance, like pretty obvious to someone out there, but we do see lots of people that, you know, they, they find some cool correlations. They make some decent models, but they don't have a, you know, an existing benchmark. And if you're not beating just a model that was to use rookie year points per game as an input, then, you know, your model's probably not all that useful. So just having that base benchmark is something that I like that, you know, you've put into your model and you're making sure that you're, you're beating that predictive power. Yeah. You know, I did that for the the prospect stuff too, where I think a lot of people, um, you know, will, will sort of like build something and then they'll see, like, they'll sort of eyeball the results and be like, oh yeah, you know, you know, Calvin Johnson's the best wide receiver in this model. It must be good. And then, you know, oh, Keenan Allen popped a little bit as a second, second uh, round wide receiver, that kind of stuff. Uh, but I really wanted to be predictive in terms of like actually testing and, and looking at the correlations here and seeing how, uh, you know, I can beat it, like actually be better than it. Um, and so, you know, the, the benchmark I used for the year two model was, was points per game because it's just the most the, the easiest thing to sort of look at. I think a lot of people do naturally sort of gravitate towards just points per game and saying, oh, this guy was good last year. Just look at his points per game. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, the year two model of course it's better than points per game, but it's, 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 it's a lot better than points per game. You know, it's not just like, Oh yeah, I barely beat points per game. Therefore this thing is has predictive power and it's good. Um, it's a lot better than, than what points per game is in terms of how predictive it is at, at looking at year two and year three success. Yeah. And with all your inputs into your model, you're bucketing guys into uh, a percentile level prospect from zero to 100. Um, and I've got up on the screen now, based on the buckets, you've got the probabilities historically that these types of prospects achieve a certain level of points per game in years two and year three, looking at the best season, full PPR points per game. And you can see 95th to 100th percentile type prospects, JJ, they're scoring double digit fantasy points per game 
at 100% clip um, for their best season between years two and three, 12 plus at 100%. And it's a 50-50 proposition they get to 18 plus. So this bucket of wide receivers historically has been quite phenomenal. The track record is really impressive. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and, you know, the, the percentile buckets that you, you can see here, uh, that's more for aesthetics. It's more for allowing consumers to like look at this and sort of visualize what's going on within the model. I don't necessarily look at a 96th percentile wide receiver and say, oh, he's just as good as a 99th percentile one. The 99th yeah. percentile wide receiver is better from an expected points per game standpoint. Uh, it's just easier to sort of visualize this in, in buckets of, of five, essentially five percentiles, uh, you know, and, and saying like, okay, if he's a 95th to 100th percentile guy, those guys historically have had insane hit rates. I mean, I'm not modeling for that in particular, but uh, just the way the results are, I mean, it shows you that, uh, you know, if a, if a guy lands in that bucket, he has a very, very good chance. I mean, he has a, a phenomenal chance of at least not busting completely, uh, but he has a really, really good chance of, of you know, 18 plus PPR points per game in, in a singular season is like a high end wide receiver one season. I mean, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a good season for a wide receiver. And we're seeing half of the players, uh, you know, in that 95 to 100th percentile bucket uh, fall into that, that range, which, uh, you know, the sample size that I'm using here is from 2011 to 2020 because it gives players enough time to play three seasons. So, you know, the verdict is still out on, on guys who were drafted in 2021 and 2022. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, fr from that range, that nine year, 10 year range, uh, it looks really good for, for those wideouts who have been in that bucket. Yeah. And not even just like the very high end, but the floor on these guys, I was somewhat surprised to see the 14 plus at 87%. You know, that's, that's a really big hit rate on the floor side of things. Uh, I guess the question like I have, and I'm sure people listening have is what are you putting into your year two model? They obviously don't expect you to give, you know, all the secret sauce, but um, if there's anything like high level that makes this work, I know your original Z prospect model score for these guys is a part of it. Yeah. So, you know, the reason why I wanted to build the year two models in the first place is, you know, we're talking wide receiver today, but I have a running back one as well. That's not as predictive just because running back is so volatile, given given how a coach can be like, yeah, you know, I want to give you work this year just for fun, uh, you know, instead of instead of uh, them leading with talent. But, uh, you know, wide receiver is a little bit easier to model uh, for this stuff because talent does drive volume and drive production at that position so much. So uh, the reason I built these is because you know, I, I saw these guys as good prospect, you know, these good prospects would enter the league. Maybe they didn't do very well in year one or, or at least live up to expectation. And I wanted to see, okay, well, how much does that prospect score or how we view them as a prospect really matter after that first season? And, and the answer to that is it still matters a good bit. I mean, it matters at running back, probably a little bit more than wide receiver, wide receiver. We get a lot of signal from some of these advanced metrics in year one, those being things like yards per route run, and these are in the model yards per route run targets per route run. Um, you know, one of them uh, that I use is yards per team pass attempt. Those are the, probably the big three. And then I, I do utilize points per game itself uh, within this as well. So, uh, you know, I, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm uh, benchmarking towards or against points per game, but that's also part of the model. But, um, you know, I'm sort of looking at all of these and I've had conversations with you about this when I was sort of like looking through this, this off season um, and sort of, you know, every year I try to just make it better. Um, and one of the things that I did this year was I, I started utilizing yards per team pass attempt as sort of a proxy for volume, right? Uh, I think that a lot of people look at yards per team pass attempt and they assume that it's a similar metric as like a yards per route run, but there's a very, very big difference there in that 
team pass attempt is not uh, is more of a volume driven statistic as opposed to route run. I mean, you could be a part time wide receiver uh, and look really, really good in yards per route run. But if you're a part time wide receiver, you're not going to look nearly as good in yards per team pass attempt. Um, and so that's sort of the distinction between the two. And, and it sort of captures volume inherently yards per team pass attempt does, you know, it does capture things like a player being hurt. Um, we'll get into yeah. that uh, a good bit. I'm, I'm sure on, on today's show. Um, but at the same time, you know, this is modeling for year two and year three. And if a guy gets hurt in year one, he's probably going to have a slower uh, going of, of how he's going to perform in years two and three. You know, if a guy misses an entire year one se- rookie season, he's not just going to like usually just dominate in year two right away, which is why, uh, you know, full yards per team pass attempts, not even on a per game basis, it's full yards per team pass attempt, uh, get some signal within the model. So those are the the main metrics that go into it um, and, and why they can be impactful. Yeah. And that yards per team pass attempt, I remember talking to you about the injured players and making adjustments for them. And I think what you said ultimately you found was like the yards per team pass attempt does a good job of in a way you're, you're indirectly like regressing, you know, the smaller samples of players. Like you think of Darius Tony when he had, you know, really high yards per out run, but missed a bunch of time, the yards per team pass attempt in some ways is sort of naturally regressing that yards per out run by giving him his full credit for the yards that he achieved, but not, um, but also giving him full blame, I guess, for, for the time that he missed. And it sort of works out. Obviously you want to layer in that context. We'll talk through Christian Watson, Jamison Williams, some of the guys where the, the injury stuff was certainly impactful, but let's jump to, I'm glad this guy is top in your, your wide receiver model. I'm not going to share all the profiles from JJ's prospect guide. You can find on late round.com. But if you're watching on the established run YouTube channel, I've got crystal Lave pulled up who you had with a 97.9 percent tile prospect score initially last year. That's up to 99.3% in year two, uh, which gives him tops in the class and you can see here too, there's journey comparables. So this is comparable players, not based on style, size, that sort of thing, but just based on where their prospect score was initially, what the prospect score is year two to kind of help give us an idea of the, the range of outcomes for a player. But JJ, let's take a little victory lap on Alave because he was a four-year player. That was a red flag for some people, but your model kind of took that in, understands it's a red flag, but with everything else into it was still pretty bullish on him yeah i mean look the, the main reason for that is because if you look at um draft capital and if you have a model that includes draft capital which you know you probably should because there's a lot of signal that you get from from draft capital itself um and even if you're doing like drafts pre nfl draft you can look at places like uh nfl mock draft database to get projected draft capital and it's going to be fairly predictive uh in and of itself but uh you know draft capital uh what's interesting is uh, in my model and the way that it's set up, I sort of have like a draft capital score, if you will. Um, you know, it's not just saying like, okay, this is some linear, uh, you get picked second, you get picked third, you get picked fourth, et cetera. Yeah. It's, it's by pick, uh, overall pick. Um, and there's some math involved that uh, if you do go in rounds one and two, not as much day th- or round three. And then once you get to day three, it really doesn't matter nearly as much, but there's more weight for those early round picks with draft capital than there is, for the late round ones. And it makes sense intuitively, right? Like if you're an early round pick, uh, there's a lot going into that from a, from a team perspective versus if you're a late round pick, uh, there's a lot of volatility there. Like there's just a lot of different profiles and there's just a lot of dart throwing by these NFL front offices. So that draft capital piece matters a little bit less. Um, and so with, with Alave, he had the draft capital 
he had really good numbers across the board. Um, the only difference between he had better numbers than than Garrett Wilson really throw, uh, in my model uh, across the board, uh, including like breakout age and stuff like that. Just that he was a year older in terms of of him declaring early or not. Um, and so him and him and Garrett Wilson were like identical uh, within the model for the most part last year, but they both looked very very good. And then obviously the market just didn't like Alave because he stayed in school that extra year. But because the draft capital was there and because it's such a big weight for those early round guys, it really helped me, you know, be into Chris Alave last season. Um, and then you see what happened in year one where uh, he had historic yards per out run numbers, uh, targets per out. I mean, he looked so good in these advanced metrics across the board that it was like undeniable that he is just an extremely, extremely talented player. Um, and so the journey comparables that popped out for him, which again, is just looking at the the prospect score that a player had versus his year two model score. So basically saying like, what, what, what type of journey did he go through? So with Chris Olave, he started out as a very, very good prospect and he is still a very, very good prospect. Um, he's even better than he was at the, from the start. So that's why you're getting guys like OBJ, AJ Green and CD Lamb, which should make everyone feel confident in, in yeah. Olave. I know that the situation isn't necessarily ideal. It's not ter- terrible, but it's not the most ideal situation in the world. But we're buying talent here. And, and you know, according to all the advanced metrics, according to the model, you know, you should be in on Chris Olave. Yeah, I think you had him with the fifth best fifth best ever yards per out run behind Odell, AJ Brown, Jamar Chase, and Justin Jefferson, um, which is you know pretty 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 ridiculous company. Targets per out run was even better, fourth best. So huge year for Olave. Uh, just as like a random aside, when you were talking about draft capital, one of the conversations we were having is, do, do you ever consider? smoothing out the actual draft capital with like some sort of like consensus big board or um, mock draft consensus going in, or do you just use the, the actual draft capital, the line of thinking being like if a team reaches like around on a guy, but the rest of the NFL didn't value the player at that level. Like, like the Andy Isabella dilemma uh, or, or the, you know, you get Taekwon Thornton or, you know, those, those types of players. You know, the thing is I, I have a metric in the model called draft capital Delta, which looks at where uh, a player was draft. So I, I just basically come up with a percentile score for draft capital, which is more linear in nature, right? So if a guy gets drafted second overall, he basically, you know, a wide receiver, he would have a hundredth percentile draft capital percentile. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I look at that and I subtract that from his prospect score to get a draft capital Delta. And what I found, and this is good because it's telling me that my model is predictive in some way without draft capital, which I, I know it to be true, but, uh, you know, draft capital Delta, if you, if you have a negative draft capital Delta, especially in the, the top 100, uh, there is more predictive. You are going to have uh, worse outcomes with a negative draft capital Delta versus a positive draft capital Delta. So if a guy is overdrafted by the NFL, which is what the model might be saying, it's going to show up there. So yeah, I've thought about it. I actually, I haven't tested it cause I don't have any of the historic data for it, but I would love to see like historic mock draft data and see if yeah. it's actually more predictive than what the NFL draft actually is showing. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if it would be because it's sort of a, a meeting of the mind group thing type deal where there's more people thinking a certain way about a certain player. And therefore we're getting better results as opposed to just one team saying, I'm drafting this guy right here. But you know, at the end of the day, you're probably only going to get like three or four at most like higher name, bigger named type players that seem like way, way overdrafted or way, way mm-hmm. underdrafted every year. Um, and then on top of that, then you're assuming that, you know, better, or you assume that that's the case or something like that. So, you know, I think that the examples of it happening, 
uh, are, are pretty slim. Uh, but you do, you know, objectively get those examples, you know, just generally happening sometimes, uh, you know, throughout the league. But I, I would love to have that data to be able to like plug that stuff in because it could be because because, for instance, in my in my prospect guide, all of the prospect scores that I have pre-draft are based on uh, NFL mock draft database big boards. Right. What if yeah. that stuff is actually more predictive than where they actually <laughs> yeah. go? I have no idea. Like it could be the case. I just don't have that data that, that dates back that far. Yeah. Or some sort of hybrid because I mean, it does matter where the team that selected you took you because that's going to affect how they utilize you, you know, with your right. course of your career, right. especially early on. So some of it doesn't matter what the rest of the NFL thinks, but some of it does from a skill standpoint, but yeah, bringing it back to Olave, you're trying to make it actionable. What's tough for me, and I feel like it's becoming tougher in fantasy the last couple of years, is as there's more sharp people doing content and stuff, like draft rooms are getting a little bit smarter, particularly in like the higher stakes stuff. So a guy like Chris Alave, for example, he finished the underdog first round of their big best ball contest with an ADP of 23.6. So to me, from like an archetypical standpoint, like this is the type of wide receiver I want to be invested in. But as I'm kind of trying to combine that with projection work, like, like, oh, that that starts to become a little bit rich of ADP. And I think we finished with him 31st overall with a rank of wide receiver 15. So not like way off what the ADP was, but a little bit behind on a player that you would think naturally you'd want to be ahead of ADP on. So like, how do you go about kind of trying to take his really gaudy year two model score and make it like actionable when it comes to draft season. Yeah, look, you know, I'm not inputting this score when I'm building projections or anything like that. So if my projection and I, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not like a slave to projections. I'm not just like building them and drafting off of them completely whenever I'm building them out, but they are a good guide, similar to how I view my prospect models, just a guide for, you know, making sure that I'm not missing anything glaring or anything like that. Um, and so, you know, with a guy like Alave, I'm going to, I'm going to work off of my projections for this particular season, first and foremost, as you are doing. So if your numbers say that that's totally reasonable and fine. I think that from more of a dynasty perspective, which is what the year two model, um, you know, is built mm -hmm. for, um, you know, you have to think about appreciation. You have to think about value, all that kind of stuff. And I am absolutely, you know, there's other wide receivers in this class that I'm higher on too, but I'm definitely higher. I'm still higher on, on Alave than the market from, from a dynasty perspective, because, uh, you know, what he did year one is something that we only see stud wide receivers do. And it's really hard to envision a scenario where he just completely falls flat on his face. Yeah. And there's another year two wide receiver who's actually third in your, your model, Garrett Wilson, who I think the market's really hot on and, you know, deservedly so Wilson's an awesome prospect, but um, he had a worse yards per out run, worse target share than Alave and Drake London. You have London second. We'll talk about him next. I mean, all these guys appear to be studs, but uh, Wilson possibly a little bit overhyped by the market, but I'm wondering how much, you know, this where it gets into like having a good objective model. We're taking some subjectivity, like how much in your personal ranks, you know, are you making an adjustment in your dynasty play for, you know, the switching QB in New York? Yeah. You know, right now I have uh, a lave, I think literally one spot and in the same tier uh, ahead of Garrett Wilson, but mm -hmm. I, I, so like, I'm not going to care if someone puts Garrett Wilson ahead of Chris Alave, especially considering, you know, the quarterback change and the upside that comes with that. And I'm, I'm assuming that with that quarterback change projections for this year for 2023, I haven't built them out yet, but I'm assuming that they'll probably favor Garrett Wilson a little bit more than Alave. But 
it was just really interesting to me throughout like the the uh rookie of the year talk and and uh you know the betting talk around that how like Garrett Wilson from like early October onward was way way ahead of Chris Olave in the markets for offensive rookie of the year but then if you look at their numbers on a per game basis on a per route run basis Olave was better in literally every statistic I mean he was like whether you're looking at target share or yards per route run or or what have you yards per game I mean like Chris Olave was better than Garrett Wilson. And, you know, I, I understand you can make the arguments about uh, quarterback play and Zach Wilson being horrible and all that. Andy Dalton, you know, is not the best, but he actually wasn't horrible last year. Um, but, you know, I, I understand all those arguments, which is why I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, you shouldn't be drafting Garrett Wilson over Chris Olave. I just think that the conversation should be more pro Olave than it is, if that makes yeah. sense. I feel like the conversation has been so pro Garrett Wilson, which you know, respect. The dude is a baller. He is so good. I want him on all of my teams. Yes. But it should also, the focus should also be on Chris Olave, who is also a baller. And I want him on all of my teams too. Yeah. And the comps you have for Wilson are amazing. And like Jalen Waddle is one of them that yeah. kind of sticks out where he had this really encouraging rookie year. And then his situation kind of changed for the positive on top of that. You know, we could sort of see a similar thing with Garrett Wilson for the Jets. Uh, Drake London is the one who doesn't really get talked about of this top trio. And you've got him second. Again, this is in your pure model score. JJ's got him second. His personal rankings is going to take into account some subjectivity and stuff. But yeah, London, what was impressive from him and your models picking up on is just how strong the target share was. And this mm -hmm. is where, you know, you mentioned yards per team pass attempt. We're able to make some adjustments to the fact that the Falcons and Arthur Smith just, you know, they, I, I can't even like rail on Arthur Smith too much because, the, you know, from an EPA perspective, they, yeah. they actually did have a decent running game yeah, and they, right. you, they managed to stay competitive. But it certainly wasn't the type of offense you want to see from a fantasy perspective. And I think with Dynasty, especially when we're zoomed out, you know, we're like years two, three, things happen, quarterbacks change, coaches can change. We don't want to be hyper-focused on the Falcons' play calling last year. We want to be a little bit more focused on Drake London more or less being an alpha in that offense right away. Yeah, you know, I, I think that it's it's valid, though, to take into consideration that offensive situation because even if they change the quarterback position, like there's been a lot of talk about Lamar going there or if they do get a rookie quarterback or something, those aren't necessarily good scenarios for a pass catcher you know, going from year one to year two. I mean, Lamar Jackson being there, sure, he's going to be more efficient and they're going to be better. But um, we know it's probably going to be still a run-heavy offense. And if you get a rookie quarterback, uh, you know, a lot of rookie quarterbacks um, you know, do not do well for their pass catchers. It's not really a good thing for pass catchers from like a redraft standpoint. So like, I understand why uh, you would factor that stuff in and you should factor that stuff in, even in Dynasty to some degree. Like I still have Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave in a tier ahead of Drake London, despite the fact that I think as players, as individual players, you could even argue that London has the most alpha profile of the three. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think that you necessarily have to go that route because the situation that he's in right now and situation does matter to some degree. It's not it's certainly not even close to everything. And, and I would say that I lean more on the talent side and the situation side versus how others view things in Dynasty. Um, but that stuff does matter. But as a player and as with the model seeing, you know, the model's not saying, oh, you're in a 1960s Arthur Smith offense right now. The model's saying, oh, this guy finished, you know, second in yards per team passes or, or, or uh, uh, target share per game uh, since uh, 2011 
or saying that from a yards per team pass attempt standpoint, the only rookie wideouts during that time that were better than Drake London were Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, AJ Brown, and Odell Beckham. So like there's so many good peripheral numbers that favor Drake London that I think that of the three, he's the easiest buy this offseason from a dynasty perspective. Um, and then of the three, I mean, I, I think that you could you could consider him still the best value of the three, even in redraft, you know, or looking at early drafts and such, just because you know the talent is there. And the other thing, too, from a team perspective, I know I was talking situation there and, and looking at it sort of negatively, but from a from a regression standpoint, we generally see, you know, teams. I mean, they were the fourth most run heavy team of the last decade. Uh, the Falcons were last year. That kind of stuff regresses year over year quite a bit. So we're likely going to see a more pass heavy team, regardless of, of what goes down at quarterback. And that's going to benefit a guy like, like London. Um, I know Kyle Pitts will be healthy and all that, but uh, it's not like they have a ton of competition there. He can see a high target share ceiling and the floor is going to be there because the talent's there. So uh, I, I think, I think London's probably like the easiest buy of the three only because you don't have to spend up nearly as much to get him versus the other two. Yeah. And just to reiterate how good this group is overall, just like bringing up, you know, again, I know this is more like just for visual aesthetics for people to get a sense of how it works. You're not bucketing guys, but again, all three of these guys, not just in that 95th to 100th percentile bucket, but they're in the top half of that bucket. Garrett Wilson at 97.6 percentile. So just outrageous. And as absurd as the numbers are for the 95th to 100th percentile bucket, it is kind of crazy, JJ, how much they drop off immediately at the very high end, even just going down to the next bucket, the 90 to 95th percentile. And again, 94th percentile is a lot better than the 91st percentile and, and all that. But the 18 plus points per game, you go from about a 50-50 shot to uh, a, a 1 in 10 shot. So that's just to say like these three guys are really people that you can build around in dynasty core players whose value should hold up really, really well. There was one other wide receiver that, or there's two other wide receivers that are kind of drafted among the top wide receivers last season. JJ, let's talk about Jamison Williams first of those. And he's the guy that's tricky because he missed so much time. We saw some big plays for him when he was able to come back, but yeah, I mean, like, how do you treat a guy like him? Yeah, you know, I, I I think that this is one of those cases where, and I sort of felt this way about like Gabe Davis last year. Not that they're at all the same player or in the same situation or anything, but there are it, there are some instances where it's easier to invest in younger players in redraft than in dynasty. And some people like look at that and they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense because you care about age and dynasty. You don't care about age and redraft. But you have to think about what your what your cost is, right? With Jamison Williams, the cost isn't like overly overly significant to the point where if you miss on Jamison Williams in redraft yeah I mean you'd rather hit in that range but it's not the end of the world it's not like a first two or three round pick uh whereas in dynasty you're gonna have to give up something substantial you might have to give up some future picks or or a player who uh you know has just as good of a of potential and upside as a guy like Williams just more cost involved in buying in dynasty when there's a lot of volatility to the profile, there's a lot of volatility to Gabe Davis's profile last year, but it was easier to draft him in redraft because again, mm -hmm. the cost in doing so, if you missed him, wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, where, whereas it, it's a much bigger deal in dynasty. Um, so, you know, the, the year two model, uh, you know, is going to project how well these guys do in year two and year three. And it's largely based on obviously prospect score. Jamison Williams was a 95th percentile prospect, uh, but also how well they did in year one. And as we know, Jamison Williams, did basically nothing in year one because uh, of the injury. Um, but I, I think, you know, and so his, his year two score sucks. Uh, bottom line, it's just not good. 
Um, and so, you know, I, I published the prospect guide and got a lot of email. I mean, he's like the number one guy that people are emailing me about and being like, what the heck, this is so crazy. You know, he's only in like the 76th percentile or something like that. Um, and, and I get it. I, I don't disagree. Like I don't rank him that way per se. I'm not going to change the model for one guy. Number one, it's just not worthwhile to do. Um, but also, you know, I'm modeling based on what's gone on over the last decade, uh, of, of football. And if you look at what's gone on since 2011, uh, there has not been any real hits from wide receivers who didn't play at least eight games in year one. Uh, and that's, that's when, when modeling towards max point per game season in year two or year three. Uh, the only guy who scored more than 12.3 PPR points per game that didn't play that for that that uh, half of their rookie season was Alan Hearns, who scored 15 PPR points in one of those seasons. But it's not like that was something that you were going to model for or predict anyway. Um, and this is this is among a lot of wide receivers because this is all the wide receivers that are in the my, my prospect models database, which uh, includes all wideouts who were at the combine or who were drafted. Um, and so since a lot of players went undrafted or, you know, that you go late in the draft and you don't get a lot of playing time, that kind of stuff. Um, and then there are some first rounders too, that just didn't play that much during their rookie seasons. Literally none of them have done anything. Uh, the, the, the best comp for Jamison Williams is probably like a Mike Williams, uh, just in terms of like the, the, the career trajectory and where things could go. Um, but, but I think it just goes back to what I said earlier, where like, you know, I'm modeling for, for year two or year three, right? And if a guy doesn't play in year one, that means he's effectively maybe a little bit better than what we would expect from a rookie in year two. Uh, and so if they're if they're playing essentially their rookie season in year two, that just sort of truncates and gives you a shorter time frame to be able to hit a high mark, you know, in year two or year three. Because Jamison Williams could get hurt in year three and he could just underperform in year two. And then all of a sudden the, the year two model is brilliant. It was completely correct. Right. Um, so I don't mind Jamison Williams, uh, you know, as, as a player, as a prospect, but. I do think that there's a lot more question marks when you're looking at just a two-year time frame around a player like that than people are giving him credit for. And then, like I said, I actually think it might be easier to just go after him in redraft than in dynasty right now because the cost to acquire is just a lot less. Yeah, and, and some of this deals with like base rate, right? Like the base rate people tend to ignore sometimes when they're projecting. They jump too into the detail micro kind of analysis of a player, but we know if you like in the book, super forecasting, they talk about this a lot and some of the better forecasters of, you know, this isn't for football necessarily, but they think through the base rate, which is kind of what you're doing with Jamison Williams. So yeah, he could be an outlier. Yeah. We want to account for that in our personal ranks, but we don't want to overweight that. We don't want to dismiss yeah. the base rate completely. And your point about opportunity costs, I think makes a ton of sense. Like with Gabe Davis, not just the cost to acquire right now, but where the value could go a year out if things don't go well, because you talk about that top tier wide receivers, Wilson, Olave, London. There's a bit more meat on the bone for if, like if they have a bad year that we yeah. can point to to that. Whereas like Jamison has, you know, misses a year to injury and then doesn't perform well year two. The market could get scared real quick on that. I've been kind of looking to sell him in one of the dynasty leagues where I drafted him over Olave, shamefully. And our, you can see our best ball rankings up right now. He had finished with an ADP of wide receiver 30. We have him wide receiver 34, and we're kind of clinging to ADP a little bit too. So like in terms of raw rank, if we were to remove the ADP impact, he'd be even a little bit lower for us. Uh, looking at that other second tier in that 90 to 95th percentile bucket, two guys that you have rated somewhat similarly and had similar metrics, Jahan Dotson and George Pickens. 
curious how you view those guys, how you deal with something. I know you talked about yards per out run, yards per team pass attempt. What does Dotson's like strong TD rate from year one do for you? Because this is a tough one where it's like obviously a good sign. He's finding the end zone quite a bit. I'm assuming the points per game um, fantasy impact is is that that, that has is, is affecting your model to some extent, but it's also something that's pretty volatile. Um, but outside of the strong TD rate from Watt from Doc, ah, excuse me, from Dotson, you know, the target share for for him and Pickens was just kind of you know middle of the pack, and the yards per out run wasn't that great for either player. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, they both have really similar sort of peripheral secondary numbers. Uh, you know, with Dotson, you mentioned the, the touchdown rate. That's going to be captured in points per game, which is part of, you know, the year two model still, but doesn't get the same weight as like a yards per out run would or targets per out run, that sort of thing. Um, you know, the thing that's interesting with both of these players, actually, and this isn't, you know, my model doesn't split up the season like first half and back half or anything like that. But, you know, we do generally see rookie wide receivers do a lot better in rookie running backs, too do a lot better during the second half of the season than the first half of the season. Um, and in the second half of the season for both of these players, both Pickens and Dotson, uh, their yards per route run got a lot better. Uh, Dotson in the first half, you know, he had that injury sort of halfway through the year, but in the first half he had like a sub 1.0 yards per route run rate. Like it was horrible. And then when he came back from injury during the second half, it was 1.77. I mean, it was actually pretty strong. Um, and, and then with George Pickens, you know, the, the one thing with, with Dotson versus Pickens that's kind of interesting is that they both sort of had this like number one clear-cut guy that was going to gobble up the most volume in their offense. Uh, the difference is that Dotson versus Terry McLaurin in yards per route run. Now, there's not that much signal with team differential yards per route run, mm -hmm. if you will. This is just a metric that I made up on the air. But like, you know, basically, if you're, if you're looking at uh, yards per route run versus teammate yards per route run, there's you're, you're better off looking at just yards per route run. But I do think that there's some interesting context that you can glean just from looking at the differences, you know, between how one guy's doing a yards per route run in the exact same environment as another guy. Um, and Terry McLaurin was really, really good in yards per route run last year uh, as he is, cause he's a, he's a stud and it was a lot better than Jahan Dotson. Whereas uh, George Pickens versus Deontay Johnson, they were sort of just on the same path the entire season where the Steelers offense was really bad during the front half of last year they had that buy. Kenny Pickett sort of gets going a little bit. And the offense was actually not bad during the second half of last year. Not great, but it wasn't nearly. I mean, they were like the worst offense in the league, you know, from like weeks one through nine last year. And, and that's where we saw Pickens really pick up, uh, you know, in the yard per route run department. So he ended up looking OK. And then both players uh, were OK as Pickens especially was OK in, in yards per team pass attempt. So the difference between Pickens and Dotson, I'd say within the model is that Pickens looked better last year in totality because he stayed healthy, was able to be on the field. He played starter snaps the entire year. Dotson missed some time, but Dotson had the backbone of being the better prospect in the model entering the league last year. So that's why both of their scores are now fairly similar because Dotson just entered as the better prospect versus Pickens. And then Pickens sort of caught up based on staying healthy and, and all that. And I've, I've also heard the arguments and, and I don't necessarily fully disagree with this at all, but uh, you know, I've heard the arguments that, you know, players who were full-time players uh, like a Pickens or a Dotson when they were healthy, that there's not as much room for growth compared to part-time guys, maybe like a Traylon Burks or something like that, who have that chance to then increase their, their, their raw snaps uh, from year one to year two. I, I don't disagree with the notion that like a Burks is a little bit more intriguing because of that. Uh, but I think it just, it sort of dismisses the idea that Pickens and Dotson could just get better. Like they could just be yeah. players, you know, we, I, th I feel like we see that narrative a lot in fantasy. Uh, I think it's just because it's like, 
a more linear thing like to, to visualize where it's like, Oh, they were already awesome. Imagine if they get more playing time. Whereas right. like we, we were having, I mean, I'm doing an aside, but we were talking like Calvin Ridley versus Christian Kirk. And, and someone kind of brought up like, well, Kirk, Kirk had about as good a year as he possibly could have. And he was, you know, great, but not amazing. But I was like, well, he could still do like just a little bit better. Like, I know right. you don't have that. Like he, he could just do a little bit better. Um, so I definitely hear where you're coming from, from that standpoint. Sad to bring you up, Traylon Burks. Uh, the big movers in your model, one guy up, one guy down. Traylon Burks is the guy down, and I was really high on him. So this crushed me. Thankfully, I did take London ahead of Burks. When I got the opportunity, I would have had so much Burks. Um, capitulated to the, to the draft capital there, thankfully. Um, the guy that moved up a ton, again, not great for me. Christian Watson was a guy I didn't, didn't really get a lot of in rookie drafts. Dink and I did get a share in our, our high stakes FFPC dynasty where we moved Jamal Williams for him midseason before the breakout. So, and we, we like didn't even want to do it at the time. And uh, so that, so that worked out better to be lucky than good. But yeah, um, yeah these guys moved in different directions. Watson still seems like, you know, real high risk, high reward player. Yeah, I, I think Watson uh, has a higher ceiling than like a Pickens, uh, just based on uh, what he did on a yards per route run perspective from a yards per route run perspective, and uh, in, in what he did when he was on the field. But I think Pickens is just a little bit safer because we have a larger sample of him in the NFL, uh, consistently playing, you know, a, a, as a starter. Um, and we, you know, we didn't see Watson really play that much with like a Romeo Dobbs and such. Uh, you know, it wasn't like. Uh, you know, we saw him with the same type of competition that a George Pickens was seeing. So I think Pickens is like a safer bet versus a Watson, but yeah, Watson, his yards per hour run was incredible last year, but again, like we didn't, we didn't get to see it across, you know, 14, 15 games. We saw it across like the, you know, half the season that he ended up playing. Um, and, and then train Lombergs is sort of the same, the same deal where, um, you know, he, he, he definitely showed some flashes last season. We all were so excited because he was seeing more and more work in that offense. And then he gets like that concussion on that touchdown that he had the one week and then, you know, ends up getting hurt. And it's just, it, it's one of those things where, you know, he's just naturally not going to look as good in this model because again, it's predicting year one year, or sorry, year two and year three. And if that year one isn't, isn't great or isn't like spectacular, uh, a guy's going to move down a little bit. He's still in that 91st percentile Trey Burks is so uh, you know, if you if you like Burks more than a Watson or if you like Burks more than a Pickens, I think I still have Burks ranked ahead of of I might have him ranked. I still have him ranked ahead of like a Jahan Dotson um, because the upside's there. I mean, we, we knew that coming into to the uh, when, whenever he came into the league. Um, but yeah, both those guys are still sort of in that bucket of that 90th, 95th percentile. But there's there's a lot of them. I mean, it's it's Dotson, Pickens, Watson and Burks sort of all clustered in there. Um, but I think it's logical. You know, I think that if you look at the hit rates of that bucket historically, um, you know, you don't see a ton of ceiling there, um, but you do see a decent enough floor. And I think that it's going to, it's, it's, it's unlikely that we see these guys just completely tank. Um, but, you know, I do think that, that the floor uh, or sorry, that the ceiling is something that you might be able to sell off in dynasty. If someone is seeing, you know, Pickens, for instance, uh, I don't know has the ceiling that some Pickens truthers believe you know? And so if you're able to sell something like that, then you could sell something like that just based on what their year two model says. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Um, those are, so those are the, the primary guys. Curious if you have any strong takes one way or the other on anyone else. Um, I got to ask about Sky Moore, who is closed the underdog big board draft with like a wide receiver, 56 ADP. 
that was one of the guys we were most behind market on for that contest. We had him at wide receiver 67. This is a case where I feel like people are maybe projecting the potential opportunity bump a little bit too much. And they're, they're more focused on that than like what actually occurred last season with sky Moore. but curious how you see that situation. Yeah, look, I mean, it's funny because two of his journey comparables are guys that I didn't mind entering the league. I mean, I've changed up my my process since uh, since this, but, you know, Andy Isabella is his top one, uh, which makes a lot of sense. You know, it's a, a second round guy who really underperforms in year one, uh, but had a good production profile from a smaller school. Uh, and then uh, Terrace Marshall is another one where, um, you know, he just didn't perform in year one. So obviously he's going to see that, that bump down. So Sky Moore was like an 86th percentile guy in the prospect model last year. Now he's a 77th percentile player in the year two model. And that just doesn't give you that many hits historically, uh, you know, w- within that range. If you look at the, the 75th to 80th percentile, no player since 2011 has given you a season uh, of 12 plus PPR points per game. It just hasn't happened. I mean, you can go down to the 70 to 75th percentile and see, uh, essentially like one or two players get to that like 14 plus range, but it's just, it's not a frequent thing that happens. Um, and so I, uh, I would, I would be on the side of fading sky, um, you know, based on what we've seen historically, it's hard to say. I mean, it's tough to say that because obviously everything is lined up for him right now to potentially do something big in year two. Um, but I think that if you just look at the player and sort of what went down in year one, it's hard to be like overly optimistic. Yeah, uh, a couple other guys before we get out of here, but Romeo Dobbs, somewhat curious here where he had a really strong improvement in the score for you. I, I kind of, I don't know if my expectations were too high because he got that opportunity early in the season. And I just, again, I said I was kind of down on Watson. I was up on Dobbs last year. I thought I had a big hit on my hands and maybe my expectations were too high, but it didn't really pan out well. So curious your thoughts on him and Alec Pierce, who it seemed like you hinted at some optimism among him in the model, at least relative to the market. Yeah. So, you know, I think both these guys could maybe be considered buys in relation to what the market's saying. Now I say that because neither guy is like, Oh my God, you got to trade for him with what the model's saying right now. Right. Uh, But with Romeo Dobbs, yes. You know, the front half of the season, he had the opportunity with Christian Watson sideline. But I think if you look historically, you know, rookie wide receivers really aren't very good during the front half of, of their rookie seasons, unless they're like, you know, completely stud players. Like when OBJ came back from his injury and stuff like that, you know, I, I mentioned Jahan Dotson earlier, had a really, really bad yards per route run rate uh, to start the year. And then it got better the second half of the year. We just don't know that with Romeo Dobbs because he wasn't healthy towards the end of the year. Um, but he saw volume, you know, on a, on a per game basis, his target share was not bad. Um, he had an okay enough yards per route run rate. It was basically online in line with like a Pickens or a Dotson. Um, and he had a pretty strong targets per route run rate. It was 0.21 this past year. So, so uh, you know, I, I think Dobbs is someone who is just sort of flying under the radar from a market standpoint because of Christian Watson. Um, and, and his numbers really aren't that, that bad. I didn't mind him as a prospect either. Like the model, again, it wasn't a situation where it's like, you got to get Romeo Dobbs, go get Romeo <laughs> Dobbs. But, you know, he had a positive draft capital delta, uh, you know, so the model liked him more than, than where he was drafted, all that kind of stuff. So I think he's kind of a buy right now. Alec Pierce, though, is someone I'm really intrigued by because if you give, you know, I, I, I start with the model. I have this high level look at how I view these players and I sort of dig into their individual circumstances um, and, and sort of tell a story and create that narrative um, and try to be as objective as possible while doing that. But, um, you know, his, his uh, if you look at Alec Pierce, he wasn't that much worse 
than Michael Pittman last year when you look at their peripherals. Michael Pittman, two years ago, has this 1.95 yards per route run rate, goes down to 1.44 this past year. And then Alec Pierce on a team that had the second worst yards per attempt rate in football and who didn't throw it deep, uh, or sorry, threw it deep at the lowest rate in football. Uh, and that's what he does. He's a big play wide receiver who can play that perimeter role. He's super athletic. Um, and he was kind of, to me, he was kind of raw coming out as well. And he's sort of, the, you know, we, we see that with these athletes sometimes where they get overdrafted a little bit, like a Chase Claypool, they get overdrafted a little bit. And, you know, sometimes the athleticism translates, sometimes it doesn't. But when, when their prices are not high, it's easy to then buy into that potential with their athleticism. And so with Alec Pierce, if you look at him compared to his teammates, and, and fortunately we have a, a teammate that we all accept as a very good player in Michael Pittman, he really wasn't that horrible compared to Pittman. And then within the context of everything, his yards per team pass attempt rate wasn't that horrific either. Um, I, I know I'm saying things like that horrific and all that bad, which is fair because I don't think Alec Pierce is this like screaming. He's going to be a wide receiver to the rest of his career. But given where he was last season and the way some people were viewing him, maybe not in redraft as much as dynasty. And then given where he is now, where people are just writing him off, I think just from the market component perspective, from that perspective, uh, it makes him a pretty easy buy. Yeah. Awesome. JJ. Well, thanks so much for joining me. Anything else before we get out of here? No, no. I mean, check out the prospect guide over on late round.com. Uh, you know, I profiled every single prospect running back and wide receiver prospect that was at the combine this year. And then you can get all the year two model stuff as well, not just for wide receiver, but for running back too. Yeah. Uh, shout out to your Isaiah Pacheco call from a year ago. I think I have him on like legitimately 50% of my FFPC dynasty league. So love it. Uh, love it. Appre appreciate you, JJ. So yeah, definitely check out his stuff. Lateround.com. You can check out the established to run dynasty rankings that Anthony Amico does for us, as well as our best ball ranks. See where we have all these year two wide receivers. We've got ranks for underdog up ranks for FFPC up already. Uh, Please give us a rating review on iTunes. If you're watching on the Established Run YouTube channel, thumbs up, subscribe. That helps me a ton to keep doing this type of content for free. Good luck this offseason, everybody.